This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey guys, I can't tell you how much I love AD.LB. I check it every day. Uh, as an artist, I find it to be the best resource for game developers to learn about new workflows, tools, and just a place where everyone shares their work. So if you are looking for a great resource to develop your pipeline, go no further than AD.LV. There are a lot of cool articles on there right now. One article that really stood out to me last week is how to model and texture architectural scenes where two artists, Tovio Glumov and Natalie Kayarova, show how they created a super detailed architectural project in Unity. It's currently at 500 shares. It's trending. It's looking great. Check it out. Also, I can't talk about great online resources without mentioning Polycount. Polycount still remains the best working progress forums out there. So if you want to see how an artist thinks and how... A community helps with the progress of a project. Go to polyaccount.com. Last but not least, if you want to be more than a listener and become a patron, please check out our patreon.com forward slash Unchained. Support us and you will unlock cool perks and rewards all at our different tiers. If you want to be more participant in our latest and greatest news you can join and discuss things with other listeners on our discord channel and you can find that on our main website www.gaindevunchained.com as usual catch us on all our social media we are starting to do live recordings with video so if you want to be catching us on the next one uh, you could have to follow us on twitter or facebook all right let's get back to this week's episode Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's that time. And I'm so glad that you're sitting through another hour-long podcast with the Game Dev Unchained podcast team. I'm Larry Charles. That's one half. And Brandon Pham is actually traveling this week. But through the power of his shadow clone jutsu, he's here with me in studio, our guest host, Mr. Brandon Pham. Yes, I am everywhere at once. And speaking of which, uh, this is Brandon Fam continuing our special Shadow Jitsu with two Chris's this week, Chris Thompson and Chris Donnelly. What's up, Chris? Hey, guys. Hi, how's it going? Good to see you again. Yeah. 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 Well, this is part of the podcast that uh, we kind of ask kind of your background, your resume, kind of give our listeners an idea who you are why you guys so cool (laughs) Uh, i think i might be in the wrong podcast uh yeah well i guess i'll start um i started my career in game development back in 2010 as a production assistant uh, at a company called spark unlimited in sherman oaks uh and it was just totally lucked into job I was uh, I wasn't working in the industry before that. I just happened to be friends with the producer at that company, and when they had an opening for a PA, she's like, "Hey, we need somebody who's not an idiot and can move heavy boxes." And I'm like, "I can do at least one of those things." <laughs> uh, so she brought me in, and I was my first gig was basically hauling uh, PS3 dev kits from one corner of the office to the other, and then back again multiple times and if you recall the dev kits from that generation were 73.4 pounds each uh so yeah then i got started so i got my start doing that on what was supposed to be just sort of like a short-term thing that was for the for the vertical slice for uh lost planet three and we didn't know what was going to happen after the vertical slice because it wasn't like the whole project hadn't been greenlit yet it was just up to the vertical slice and so I thought, well, you know, this might be a nice, just a nice little gig to, to you know, keep the bills, keep the bills paid between now and, and April. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, the game got picked up and they kept me going. And eventually I worked my way up from uh, PA to AP. And right around the time that we went into uh, full production, they said, hey, uh, we, we need another PA. We basically, we just need another Chris. Do you have another Chris? And I said, as a matter of fact. I have exactly that. <laughs> I know exactly the guy. Uh, which is how Chris came in. I'm glad they didn't have like physical space. <laughs> physically the same as you. Uh, you just chop like a foot off, just sew your feet onto your knees, and you'd be about my height. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so we, he and I worked together um, through most of Lost Planet Three. I actually uh, left that project about what was it like half a year before you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right after. Alpha? No, beta. Yeah, after beta, yeah. I, I jumped. And I ended up transitioning. And that's where our, that's the first time our paths diverge. Uh, I ended up going to uh, the workshop entertainment in Marina Del Rey mm -hmm. to work as an AP on Evil Within. We did the, uh, the, the Evil Within was an interesting story because we, we did the uh, the upport of it from we were originally contracted to do the PS4 and uh, Xbox One port of it. Okay. While because the, while the main studio Tango GameWorks in Japan was working on the PS3 and Xbox 360 version, but because of the the timing of the release of the project and uh, the release of the consoles, what we were working on ended up becoming the de facto lead skew. So we were working on the lead skew, but we were downstream of the lead developers. It was a very interesting uh, dynamic. And so, but that we, we did that and I was, I'm very proud of that game. Mm. And then from there, uh, Workshop took on a bunch of different like little mercenary projects. And I, I was around there until, um, until 2016. So until last year, um, mm -hmm. working on a bunch of different projects when in the fall of last year, uh, on Chris's advisement, I left, uh, the workshop, which would become Skydance Interactive by that point, and came over here to Servios, where I have been since. And now, the other half. So what happened, happened after uh, Chris abandoned you? <laughs> well, yeah, so, I mean, I, I'm eternally grateful to, to Thompson here for, for getting me into the industry. Um, it was it was one of those things where I, I knew that I wanted to, to work in the industry, and I just hadn't met the right person or, or, or found my found my connection to it um it was entirely self-serving i just wanted to, i wanted to move fewer boxes <laughs> right right uh but but as soon as i i got into production i was i was immediately just in love with with the discipline as as a whole it's something you you get to sit in the middle of all these different uh disciplines of artistic and really technically uh, just geniuses um and you get to help them build something amazing together right um so, you know, whereas before I thought, oh, well, production seems like a good way into the industry, uh, I, I was immediately sold. Like, I want to be a producer now forever. Um, we'll see if that still holds true in five years. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so Thompson abandoned me on Lost Planet. Um, and I, I kind of had to ride that ship for, for another six months or so until, until we were through to first submission and most of my work was done. And, um, you know, thankfully I had established a lot of good connections while I was at Spark and I had, uh, a friend of mine who was working down at digital domain came to me and said, Hey, we're, we're doing some kind of hybrid game slash marketing, uh, work. You know, we need to make a trailer out of a bunch of, uh, game footage, game capture footage. And we need someone who's knowledgeable enough about games to, to, to speak with developers and, and kind of be the go between. Um, so I went to Digital Domain, and, and that ended up actually being the Titanfall announced trailer, uh, which was super awesome. <laughs> Get, getting to play Titanfall before they didn't even know what the name of the game was at the time. <laughs> um, and so, uh, like, getting to play early builds of Titanfall was really great, and uh, and learning more about that other side of like how do you sell a game? What's what's most important to to the consumers? Um, which you know ended up being really valuable skill set to take on forward in time you know now that i'm working in production and working very closely with a marketing department i i use a lot of those old skills i developed just on that project um then from digital domain that that uh, contract wrapped up and I, I moved over to a mobile games company 
and did uh, <laughs> did uh, a bunch of like small AR and uh, like toy based app projects. None of them were super super exciting or sexy, but it, it was what was nice was I got to like run an entire team on my own. I was like, all right, you're the producer and you got six guys. Make a game in six months, um, or sometimes just a month. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so that was that was extreme trial by fire because I had gone from being an AP where I'm managing, you know, a small part of a project to managing an entire project and having to see everything through from, uh, you know, pre-production to uh, scoping out the whole project, scheduling people, d- determining like who we need to hire, that sort of stuff I'd never done before. Um, and so it, I learned a ton just in that that short period of time working in mobile. But I knew that I did not want to stay in mobile. Um, I wanted to do something that was more exciting. I'm a gamer. I, I want to work on games that I love playing. I love AAA. I love uh, cutting edge tech, and, and mobile is is very contained. So after that, I, uh, I I continued doing some more mobile. I did like the iOS port of Disney Infinity, um, which was a really fun experience working with Marvel and Disney and seeing like Star Wars characters and stuff behind the scenes. Um, but eventually, I I was I was getting to a point in games where I I was frustrated with the the lack of organization, the the difficulties in um, you know every time you finish a project you have to find a new job. It's really unstable. Um, mm-hmm. And I was I was actually honestly thinking of getting out of games. And then Servios popped up, and Servios was this at the time. It was a very small company. I uh, but it was the first company I had seen that was looking for people for a VR project. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I came onto the team when it was like maybe thirty some odd people, and we've you know, small, we've, small, small. <laughs> <laughs> we have we have grown significantly since then. Uh, and and while I was working at Servios, we started scaling up, and I, I knew that we were going to need some really good people in the trenches here. That was the only way we were going to make this crazy VR thing work. And Thompson was my first choice. See, I was, I was hoping that you were going to say that somebody came to you and was like, okay, so we're scaling up. We need another Chris. And you were like, I literally have one. Just call back. That's a good yeah, call back. That would have been a much better button. Thompson, don't you do improv, man? Is that Chris? Don't you do improv? Chris Thompson? Huh? Don't you do improv? I do, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm doing all of this. I'm still uh, pretty active in the Los Angeles improv community. So, yeah, so that, that callback was pretty nice. Thousand dollars worth of improv classes finally paying off. <laughs> so, just to let the audience know, I'm going to lead into the reason why the four of us are together on this podcast right now. In case you guys didn't know, Brandon and I have worked together on a bunch of projects and at a bunch of studios. I think three studios and a couple of projects and even worked or basically met in college. So the whole reason we're doing this is because we noticed a similar synergy between you guys as a dynamic duo. You know, uh, I keep a copy of Brandon's resume in my iPhone in case I need to just... Awesome. Send it with somebody really quick, you know? And it's really helped us. Uh, I'll just speak for myself because that's all I can really do. But like <sighs> having somebody that I went to school with that we, you can respect and that you can, you know, kind of ask career advice from someone who's on the same level and go into the industry and then like, hey, are you guys hiring? Yeah, send me your resume. And, you know, I think he's gotten me two interviews. I've gotten him one. So I think I I owe him one, (laughs) but that's the score right now is two to one, but we've worked together three times in the game industry. It's Mm -hmm. like almost a package deal. It's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty symmetrical because we've worked together three times too. Yeah. yeah. We worked together at spark and then Chris was over at the workshop uh, while I was there for a hot minute. Oh yeah. I I spent like nine months working at the workshop on a a contract gig. I actually, I think on a, on a project that, you touched at one point, Larry. Yeah, I saw, I saw your name in Jira a couple times. I was like, hey, what? <laughs> what's going on here? Godly do it in my Jira. <laughs> I thought I escaped him. How's he still giving me, you know, bugs? <laughs> right? I hope I didn't send you any bugs. But... <laughs> no, no, no. I saw remnants of uh, work that you had touched. Okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so let me ask, I just want to ask the first question to you. Yeah, sure. What's it like? kind of having that, you know, that, that the camaraderie between the two of you when you separate, right? Like when, before you came back together, you don't necessarily know if there's going to be opportunities to work together again, but like you, you still kind of have that like friendship, that relationship. What's it like kind of keeping, keeping the band together while at two different companies? 
I mean, God, like it's, it's actually super helpful because yeah. it's, there's so much in game development. That's, that's not, there's no set script for how you navigate situations mm-hmm. and, and having, having a sounding board of someone else who, who not only knows your industry and, and knows the work that you do, but also has, has that loyalty of a, of a friend and that, that trust there. Mm-hmm. There's, there's so much that, the game development can get pretty pretty high stress, I, I guess. You know, people. There's lots of egos on the line. Lots of people who there's politics involved. Being able to have like a zone where there's no politics, mm-hmm. uh, and you can't necessarily divulge all your secrets. You can't break NDAs and stuff like that. But but you can talk in generalities and be like, what would you do in this situation? And yeah. and get guidance from your your friend who's who's probably had to face the same problems. Um, yeah, it also helps that. Uh, even though even when we're working at separate companies, we both live in the same neighborhood uh, <laughs> in North Hollywood and Studio City. Yeah, uh, I mean we're we're part of the same weekly Dungeons and Dragons group. Yeah, so, so we see each other regularly, so we get that kind of sounding. Oh, yeah, our, but our friends hate it. When we talk about. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I remember there was one time uh, I forget which companies we were working at. We were separated, and we met at uh, Starlight. Uh, the bar that is equidistant between the two of us, <laughs> and we were having drinks, and we were just. Uh, and, and Chris's wife, Lindsay, was there. And we were just having drinks and talking about work and talking about the problems that we're facing. At one point, Lindsay's like, oh, my God. You guys are so dramatic. <laughs> I think I've heard the word dumpster fire like a half a dozen times. <laughs> like, no, babe, that's just the... That's just the that's just... Uh, producers talk, I guess. Sure. <laughs> Everything is a fire, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we, we definitely have lists that we uh, compile, the good and bad lists or whatever, <laughs> of developers that we keep track of. You know, and as soon as a, you know, a position opens for that discipline, you're like, all right, my go-to guy, you know, Larry for design. I got a few guys for artists. You know, it's, it's just uh, it's just one of those things that you, if you like working with someone before, you want to continue that friendship, uh, even if later, um, you know, you're going off to different companies like you guys got separated and stuff but you you know the friendship and camaraderie is always there and you want to always uh help with that so obviously you guys are over at servius servius mm-hmm. uh you guys are back together again <laughs> and it seems like it's going to be like that for a long time mm-hmm. um do you guys have uh other connections that you are trying to get the group back together as well, you know, since you guys' synergy is so strong. Oh, oh definitely. I mean, yeah. when we started at Spark, you know, we started up with with a really awesome production team. You know, we had we had our buddy Mike Ludies, who was uh, a mentor for both of us. Ludies. Uh, yeah, yeah, Ludies, you remember him? Yeah. Uh, we had uh, Dan Smith, who is a producer. Now he's, now he's working over at Rockstar, but I still keep in regular contact with him. And, uh, you know, Jen Losey, who brought mm-hmm. you in. I mean, the, the, just within production alone, we have a stable of people that we would love to work with again. Yeah, that are always trying to to find ways to, you know, oh, I think this person would be great in this role. Yeah, let's let's get them in to talk to. Us it's kind of like it's almost kind of like a family, like a lineage. Because like uh, when I was at workshop, uh, I worked very closely with a producer by the name of Matt Stokes. Mm-hmm. And Stokes was the person who, or Stokes and Jen Losey had worked together uh, back in like Vivendi. Mm-hmm. Like they got into the industry together and they are the ones who had like brought Mike Ludies in uh, to production from QA. And then they brought me in and like basically it all, this whole lineage of, of producers kind of traces back to these two people. And <laughs> I still see them regularly. And every now and then one of them's like, yeah, you know, we just we got to get the band back together. Yeah. Like you, <laughs> Ludies, Jen, Chris, uh, uh, Jesse Young. Like someday we'll get a company where we get all of us together at once. Yeah, mm-hmm. that would that's be the true. plan. Sounds like a Servius because every time I talk to you guys, we're like, "Yeah, hey, yeah, you want to come see us? Come yeah. see us." Here's the thing. I think that's game development. It's such a it's a small industry with highly specialized people mm-hmm. yeah. who are constantly having to like figure out how to solve new and ridiculous problems that other other companies like once you other companies they make a product and they know how to make that product again and again and again and again. Mm-hmm. 
in, in game development, you make a product, and unless you're making like a sequel to that product, you probably have to build a bunch of new unknown yeah. stuff for the next product. And you don't want to take a risk on a team not being able to be flexible enough or, or work well enough together. Like having that stable of people that you know and trust that will that will execute on their part of the job and, and get the work done um, is, is huge. And I think it's part of why the industry stays so small mm-hmm. and part of why we, we try to help each other whenever we can. Yeah. Like it's the only way to, to ensure our success half the time. Oh, yeah. Are you guys a uh, question for you? Are you guys on different teams right now? We are. Yes. Ah, okay. So here's my question. Does it ever get competitive between the two of you? Like, oh, well, Chris, how you doing over there? Oh, you guys two days behind, huh? Mm, that sucks. Uh, <laughs> my team's doing pretty well. <laughs> it doesn't exactly get competitive because oh. we're on, we're not on synced. Ah, uh, okay. Fair uh, enough. Develop cycles. So like I'll be a one stage developer while he's in a different stage, but where it does come or it does get a little, uh, a little, a little bit like that is, uh, when it comes, because you know we're we're about a hundred people deep right now, but we're still not a huge company. So like, there's a lot of res- resource sharing between teams, mm-hmm. and uh, like, especially when like if Chris has a project that's closing, mm-hmm. uh, coming to me being like, "Hey, so I'm gonna have to borrow a couple of engineers <laughs> for a couple of weeks." I don't, I don't know why you think that that's a problem <laughs> I, I just stole like half his engineering team for several months I, about it. Uh, uh, I am so sorry i know i'm kind of screwing you right now but i need these people oh don't worry those those chickens will come home to roost right. someday yeah and like what, it actually helps because we're, we're good natured about it. it's like mm-hmm. yes like like yes it is my project at stake and, and my my career is, is tied to that but like we want to help each other. Yeah. So we know that it's not, it's not done out of malice. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, Hey, we're, we're trying to bargain and, and figure out a way to work together as a team to uh, accomplish all our goals at once. I see it having like fantasy draft. You're like, okay, all right, I'll trade you. <laughs> I need a first round draft pick. And I need- We've actually been discussing instituting a Thunderdome where we throw producers in together and then they, they fight it out for resources. I mean, we're saying foam weapons, but mm-hmm. they, they won't. No. I'll take you it. Gotta go all the way. <laughs> no war has ever been won with foam. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you guys look forward to as far as your joint career goals, right? Like since you're working together now, you're building up Servios. Is there anything that you feel like the company is incredibly benefiting off of from your presence and things that you can kind of help them, I guess, move forward towards and I guess where that aligns on your own career paths? I mean, Servios, it's, it's been a really great journey so far to, mm-hmm. to see, you know, this was my first startup to be part of. So to see a startup go from like just some guys noodling on code and not really having any process and, and, and trying to build something really cool. Cause they, they have some really amazing geniuses working on this tech. Um, but, but they didn't necessarily have all, they were a lot of new phases to the game development scene. They hadn't learned all the lessons of, of just game development in general. So certainly when I came on, that was one of the things I, I pushed for. It was like, okay, well, we're going to start establishing goals and milestones and, and really clearly setting uh, a clear path to to finish this project rather than just, mm-hmm. you know, iterating, which is great for, for producing quality, but not when you, you need to produce net product. Right? Yeah. Um, and so when I came on, it was it was OK, let's institute some process. Let's let's not kill everyone with bureaucracy, but let's try to build uh, some institutions in this company the way I would want to build them and the way I'd want to work with them and, and, uh, uh, institution, right. Mm-hmm. And make it into something much better. And I feel like I've seen that happen over time. And it, it's so rewarding to, to feel like the, the things I try to institute actually take hold and, and begin to help the company grow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a thing. Uh, especially when you're working with people who were new to the industry and you guys were new to the industry once, like, I'm sure you well know is that nobody nobody ever gets into the industry wanting to make something that's good enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> they only ever want to make you, when you get in, you want to make something that's perfect. Yeah. But the problem is things that are perfect rarely ship. Like the, yeah. they rarely see the light of day. And most most of the games that you play, most of the games that you have played and the games that you fell in love with 
that made you want to get into this industry were good enough mm-hmm. for the people who made it. And it's it's been it's been interesting to see that having gone through at least one cycle now, see that mentality get into people's heads mm-hmm. of like, okay, yeah, that's you know, if we can get close, that's that's all that matters. Well, and and managing yeah. managing time like. Mm-hmm. Being like, okay, if if I spend another week on this and and get five percent more quality out of it, is that worth me not getting this entire other feature in? Exactly. That I could get up to ninety percent in that time. Like when you when you start to help people understand the the ramifications of of time and a decision that suddenly causes your schedule to to run long, and suddenly people uh, we're, we're missing deadlines and stuff. It, it, it's great to see people internalize that stuff and start thinking like, okay, I got to manage my time. I got to finish this task. Cause I got to move on to this other thing. Cause this guy's waiting for me to, to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's been rewarding too. Yeah. Well, going back to, uh, um, how Donnelly, you mentioned, uh, you were on the team when, when the team was 30 people. Mm-hmm. Um, so managing that team, providing structure, uh, providing deadlines, importantly. Uh, how did you see that scale up as uh, more and more people started to jump on and like that crazy turn of events where, you know, got a lot of people excited, crazy amount of investment, you know, now it's like, all right, mentality is a little bit different now. Yeah. yeah. So how was that journey? It, it took us, you know, putting our hand on the stove a couple times to understand like, I remember when uh, Raw Data, our, our big flagship uh, product, first launched in early access uh, in July 2016. Uh, we we released it not really knowing how how well it was going to do. It, we're one of the first big VR titles to make it to market, and, and it was it was hard to understand um, how well we would do. And then we sold a million dollars. We netted or uh, grossed a million dollars in our first month. We we shot to the top of the Steam bestsellers list, and I was like, oh. Oh wow! This is this might be a thing, guys. Let's double down. And there was so much excitement in the company that, that that's exactly what happened. It was the crazy train. Like, let's throw everything into this game and make it this amazingly huge thing. And and I like to think that we actually managed to do most of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we definitely had this period where it was like, no, we're like we're throwing too much into this, and we have to we have to eventually prioritize. And there were some struggles, like like you don't want to tell people that hey we have to cut your favorite feature, but let's just prioritize things. Like I'm I don't want to cut anything, yeah. but let's prioritize the things that are most important, the things that get us the most value for the least amount of investment, um, and and really be smart in the in what features we take on, uh, and then just if we prioritize everything, then it'll just the game that we want to make will will emerge out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, getting people to prioritize things and really make hard choices about what, what they absolutely had to have and what were things that were nice to have. Um, but not, not required for, for the end player experience to really be valuable. Um, that was, that was a big turning point, I think for the company mm-hmm. when we were like, okay, yeah, we don't have to do everything. We can just focus on the things that we, we think are the most important. Yeah. And, and bring them to, uh, to the highest quality we can. So how was the scaling? Oh, scaling, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it just involves a lot of a lot of communication, a lot of uh, scoping meetings where you you pull people in and you say, "Hey, you're, if you're going to build this thing and this is the design, how much time do you think it's going to take?" and and adding that schedule. Uh, in terms of it scaling, uh, really hiring more producers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I mean. Uh, both like both hiring more producers and getting uh, a some kind of leadership structure in place, mm-hmm. or trying to establish something like that. Because uh, you know, when you're in a small company, and that's right around the time, right at that that tipping point of, of scaling, was right around the time that I joined the studio. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I remember being like, "We need more producers. <laughs> We're building too much game." <laughs> uh, yeah, but that's uh, when you're in a smaller when you're when you're smaller and working on something smaller. It's really easy to have like a like a totally flat structure. Like everybody gets to have a buy-in, you know. Everybody gets to look at everything and give their thumbs up. But when your team grows and your product grows, that it, it becomes 
more and more difficult to sustain that where now, you know, you have to get the departmental buy-in on it, but the department's 12 people mm-hmm. and 11 of them like it, but one of them has reservations and, mm-hmm. and then you've got, you've got a, a leadership, you know, maybe you've got business interests, mm-hmm. you've got business development also throwing the wrenches in the works because they want to sign new deals. Yeah. And someone's working on a thing that, uh, someone else asked them to do, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't filtered through any channels. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it, uh, a lot of it in that transition period that helped us scale was sort of getting an established, like uh, a hierarchical pipeline in line or in place of like, okay, so if you, in order for this feature to be considered done, it has to be signed off on by these three people <laughs> and other people can weigh in, but it's th- these three people who decide. Yeah. Or if, you know, marketing or business has a request, they can't just go straight to the person who's making it. They have to go through the right. proper channels. Yeah, it has to be aligned with the rest of the schedule. Exactly. Our resources, yeah. yeah you guys have like a hive mind mentality. <laughs> <laughs> the conversation jumped from one side of the table to the other, like with fluid, fluidity. <laughs> We've been in the trenches together for a while. Yeah. <laughs> It's so cool. We also carpool together every day, so like that mind. Oh man! <laughs> you guys are taking this dynamic duo thing to the max. <laughs> right. It's just because well, we live in the same area. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we're in the same neighborhood, Larry. That same doesn't necessarily mean it's not the same house, same room. You know, <laughs> same neighborhood technically still oh, a <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, speaking of stuff that you do together, I'm assuming you said you are in the same D&D group, so that means you play games together. Oh, yes. All right, so how about playing a little game together right now? Uh-oh. All right. All right. All right, so this game is called The Fast Five. I'm going to ask you guys five rapid-fire questions, and I'm going to need five rapid-fire answers. But before we begin, uh, let's go with the old rule. Who's the oldest at the table? I think I am. All right, so you'll go first. May 8th, 1984. June 26th. All right. You go first. All right. So. Same year, too. <laughs> I <laughs> so what we'll do is uh, I'll ask the question. Thompson, you come in first. And then Donnelly, if you'll follow up as the anchor. Okay. Okay. All right. Here we go. Question number one. Who's your favorite Mario Kart character? Shy Guy. Bowser. Damn. That's speed. <laughs> question number two. Who's better at Sprint Vector? Me. Oh, definitely not me. <laughs> definitely not. Question number three. If you could creative direct any game franchise from now on, which one would it be? Oh. Ooh, uh, uh, I'd take a crack at a Final Fantasy. Okay. I'd, I'd love to try and revive Mass Effect. Oh. You talk about it. No, I shouldn't say anything. <laughs> okay, I'll just say okay. <laughs> I liked Andromeda. I don't. Oh, I'm so sad. I'm just, that, you're the only one. Next question: Shaken or stirred? Uh, come on, fast. Neat. Shaken. <laughs> I didn't even ask. That's not compute. Nice. <laughs> Why would you water it down? That's why you shake. Last. Shake makes it waterier. No, no, shake, shake, shaking. You, 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 you agitate the ice and it melts more. <laughs> Stir to agitate it less, but the least water is neat. <laughs> and there you yeah. <laughs> and the last question is: uh, This is from our guest last week, Maria Valshikova. Uh, man, I butchered that. I'm sure. Uh, it's what genre do you think is super utter underappreciated and why? Vasilichikova, Maria Vasilichikova from last week. What genre is super underappreciated and why? Uh, I am going to go with. Uh, ooh, oh, damn it! It is Fast Five. Um, I am going to say underappreciated. Puzzlers, puzzle games. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like puzzle game. Oh, well, I'll be fast about it. Puzzle games. <laughs> now you can go ahead and say what you feel, but let's not rob the audience of your thoughts. <laughs> no, I feel like the the amount of of work and forethought and planning and creativity that has to go into like a good puzzler mm-hmm. is is so deep, but. Like it's one of those because we've we've lived in an era for a while now where like uh, between 
there's there's the the super low end like indie games like the under a million dollars or like raising money on Kickstarter indie games that are just going to go out on Steam and like the thirty million dollar plus AAA console games that are like you know big title action shooter action adventure games and there used to be back when we were growing up this like middle class of yeah. of like you know less like mid range titles yeah that where puzzlers used to live and as that market has just sort of eroded away like we don't we don't get as many of them as we used to it's a shame because I, I just think that they're you know really creative and satisfying and make you feel smart amen uh donnie how about yourself underappreciated genre i don't know how underappreciated it is but but i know that they're not they're certainly not pulling in call of duty bucks uh turn-based strategy games i love them Okay. I used, I used to spend weekends with my buddies. I we'd all gather at somebody's house, and we'd we'd play a hot seat, uh, you know, game of uh, Warlords or Age of Wonders or something, and, and just you know move our armies around, and, and it felt like playing a giant five-player game of chess, <laughs> um, where you're you're forming alliances, and there was so much meta game on top of meta game on mm-hmm. top of the regular game. Where you're forming alliances <laughs> with, with your I other promise officers. I'm not going to attack you if you help me. I promise. Yeah, exactly. I love that stuff. I love the wheeling and dealing. <laughs> um, that's part of why I love board games is is because there's such a social element mm. to those games, and then you know that in video game format is just so much fun. Yeah. Oh, you you just completely captured my. You're like you pressed my nostalgia button when you said hot seat game because I used mm-hmm. to play. Back in high school, I used to play so many hot seat games of Worms Armageddon. Oh gosh, yeah. Like it doesn't have any of that meta game that you're talking about, but it's still turn based and it's yeah, quasi strategic. It's chaotic strategic. Yeah, I, yeah, I can see that. I love Worms. Oh man, that's kind of difficult, right? So somebody takes the first shot to get their bearings, and then they leave and get it to someone else who doesn't know. You're like, oh, okay, let me. Yeah, I guess this is about winning. That was last. <laughs> year. Like, All right, down 15 uh, degrees. Yeah. <laughs> Well, guys, uh, there's one new addition that we made to this game. You won, by the way. You completed. You made it through all the questions. But I'm going to give you one last challenge. I challenge you both to come up with one single question for our next week's guest or the next individual guest that we have. Is this like a right or wrong answer? It's just as long as it's game development or game game playing related. It can be opinion, hopefully opinion, and not, you know, kind of – close the question like hey well did you so play this game is this is an interview question i use sometimes and i love i always love hearing <laughs> especially when someone has a good story um the the craziest bug uh you ever had to track down like like mm. what steps you had to go through like what what weird uh tests you tried to do to figure it out just because i mean for myself i i very distinctly recall a bug wherein um me and the rest of the QA team were pretty sure it only occurred when it was raining in Anaheim. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and like that was the only common uh, factor we could ever figure out to why this bug would occur was, oh, well, it's raining in Anaheim today. <laughs> <laughs> How do you even leave your computer and go check the weather and say, aha, it's consistent. It's well, because the- <laughs> we like, okay, our servers are based in Anaheim, maybe. Oh, okay. Maybe there's like a cert, like a leak or something, like because it was networking related. There's there was gotcha. nothing else we could think no, of. Nothing else correlated. <laughs> yeah, <it's> just, <laughs> the build hey. exactly the same. Like nothing, no, nothing changes the code base, and yet somehow still we would just fail to connect when it was raining. I don't even remember how we actually solved that problem. <laughs> Wait, did that end up being the problem? Oh no, you said oh, you don't okay. remember how you solved it. Okay, yeah, that was just a guess. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, I will ask that question to the people. You know, trying to trying every experiment they can to figure out a bug. So one of the things that Larry and I have always been excited about, we're like great proponents on on talking about the future with VR and AR. You guys are at the forefront with that. You guys are seeing the beginnings. You guys are seeing the development. We don't have to go into specifics, obviously, but you know what? What is your perspective on the next five? years to 10 years in terms of where VR type experiences and uh, consumer acceptance. Mm. Uh, I like to draw a lot of parallels uh, 
between uh, where we are now and I guess it was the second generation of home console gaming, the like Atari 2600, ColecoVision, like the early, late 70s, early 80s period, because at that point, kind of like, kind of like now, there was no big, like, there was no Dynamo. There was no one who was like the household name yet. It was still a lot of like, you know, you, if you have this hardware, you can play these games, and then there's some overlap with this hardware and these games, kind of like how you can connect an Oculus Rift to Steam. Like, mm-hmm. some of them, you can interchange some of the carts, but there's there's no one, and, you know, this this game is fun, and this game is fun, but no one has made the, like, uh, the definitive uh, uh, killer app. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> we'll get to that part of the podcast at the end. Don't worry. Uh, and I feel like in the next five years, um, basically... Uh, from a from a home hardware standpoint, we're going to get to that NES moment where uh, the price point is going to come down. The, the price of entry is going to come down just enough to uh, to to that people can access it, and mm-hmm. that the, the 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 breadth and the quality of content is going to be enough that people will get it. So that we hit that match point moment of all of a sudden everybody has a VR headset in their house. When that moment happens, I want that killer app to be just like we had the combination Mario Duck Hunt mm-hmm. cartridge when we were kids. I want that cartridge to be raw data sprint. <laughs> you guys should just offer that right now. I bet you'll sell <laughs> <like> gangbusters. <laughs> so let me ask you this, uh, Chris Thompson, where do you think that magic price point is based on, you know, just what you see happening in consumer trends right now in tech and the game value? Where do you see and it doesn't even have to be a specific headset or specific VR technology hardware, but where do you think that like magic price point is that will create that spark ignition? I think the first hardware who can hit the quality bar of the HTC Vive in both in having uh, graphical fidelity and range of motion, the first person who can hit that uh, without having to make a hard installation to your living room or like serious installation to your living room for under $400 is going to be the NES moment. Mm. I think mm-hmm. like as soon as it costs $400 or less affords you the same graphical fidelity and range of motion as, as the Vive and is no more complex to set up than like a 5.1 theater system. Mm-hmm. Then that's where we'll hit it. What's interesting about that is it's kind of like a sneak disc to the Oculus because they're four hundred dollars right now. <laughs> I mean, they're close. The problem is that's, that's not an all-in-one solution. That's the Oculus. No, I'm just teasing. Twelve hundred dollar PC to run it. Yeah, like yeah, I guess who it. has like everything, like a standalone device. Exactly. Yeah. I was just trying to create a little controversy. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have an Oculus at home. I yeah, love it. I do too. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Donnelly? Do you, do you agree or where do you weigh in? Sorry, what? I said, how about you? Do you agree or where do you weigh in? I guess well, on that magic I, price. I'm, I'm a little bit different. I, I totally agree. I think I think I will celebrate the day that we hit that NES moment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I you're completely I wrong, Thompson. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm like, you're completely wrong, Thompson. <laughs> Perspective. Uh, I think I think part of what will contribute to us getting there, though, is a lot of um, uh, evangelization. I think I think VR is still it's a hard thing for people to appreciate if they've never tried it. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you show someone a video of a VR game, and they're like, "Well, it doesn't look as good as the Call of Duty." I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, but it's running at 120 frames a second and two eyes, yeah. like. Like that's impressive <laughs> to the tech gurus yeah. and stuff, but not not to the consumer. Um, what's impressive to the consumer is the experience that, that mm-hmm. VR offers, and the only way to give them that experience is to get them in the headset. Yeah. So right. you know, one thing that we're certainly um, pushing for here at Servios is a strong emphasis on location based uh, sites. You know, mm-hmm. doing we we partner up with arcades all around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do lots of pop up events. We we're constantly bringing people in just to demo our games, do focus tests. Nice. Uh, we we want as many people who have not tried VR to try VR mm. because I think 
for me, I, like I was a big skeptic. When oh, I, I remember. I remember when you were interviewing here mm-hmm. uh, and you, t- you told me about it. You're like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm interviewing at this, uh, this VR studio. I'm not sure how it's going to go, but I'm going to go in and talk to them. Cause you, we talked about VR beforehand and you were like, I don't see it taking off. Like, Mm-hmm. You were still expecting. I mean, you were still in the like. I remember the Virtual Boy. Well, yeah, I was. I was thinking, okay, this is just going to be Connect again. Yeah. Um, yeah, like a fad. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a fad. It's a gimmick. No one's going to want to develop for it. Uh, and I I came in. I saw their studio. You know, a bunch of guys just crammed into a small office. And it's like, okay, you know, this feels like a game dev studio. Let's put on the headset and see what happens. I put on the headset and I start shooting robots. And I was sold. I was like, take my money. <laughs> I'm in. I'm a convert. I think VR is amazing. I, I don't think it'll replace traditional games, but mm-hmm. it's going to be in the same way that uh, games themselves kind of emerged as, as a new medium. I think VR will be a new medium, a new way to play games, mm-hmm. a new way to experience all media. Yeah. Um, and getting the buy-in from the people of the world just by showing it to them, so showing them high quality experiences that are compelling, motivating, um, and, and exciting. Uh, and I think Servios is doing that right Absolutely, now. Yeah. And so I keep building better things for them. Where would you say your conversion success rate is for people who have never experienced VR to playing something and then saying, okay, I get it. I'm sold. Off of the off of the first try that you've seen personally, like someone who, who takes the headset off and says, "Here's here's money, buy me a headset." Like just like you did, you said, you know, you were skeptical. Then you tried it that one time, and you had seen everything you needed to see to believe it. I guess that's what I'm asking: is how high would you say the success rate is for that kind of conversion? It doesn't even have to be a purchase, but just somebody changing their stance on believing that it's going to be viable. I mean, I, it's, it's really high. I very rarely do I talk, and I've, I've demoed hundreds of people between GDC, E3, uh, lots of uh, demos here uh, in the studio. Yeah, they send us to a lot of trade shows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like, one of the best parts of my job is when someone comes out at the look of joy on their mm-hmm. face, and they're like, <laughs> I just shot robots, <laughs> or I just ran at a hundred miles an hour and flew through the air and did all this crazy yeah. stuff. Um, and, and it didn't feel like a video game. It felt like I was in a virtual world. Uh, 90% it's like, well, wow. yeah. very rarely do I encounter someone who's like, ah, yeah, I didn't really like it. Yeah. You see, cause it's of, I'm blind, you see, so it, it has no effect yeah. on me. <laughs> well, you touch on an interesting thing that that is a big thing we're going to have to overcome is, is, uh, uh, accessibility because VR relies very heavily on uh, someone who has two hands and full range of movements. And um, but we we demo to people in wheelchairs. And yeah, we-, we actually at a trade show once uh, de- actually had a person who was legally blind <laughs> play and finish the demo level of Sprint Vector. Yes. Wow, uh, pretty. We didn't. Yeah, yeah. He he was like he fully he had like the the, the white and red cane and everything. Mm-hmm. But he put on the headset and he did an excellent job. That's amazing. Yeah. Was there any, so beforehand, were there any special considerations that you guys put into the technology in preparation for something like this? Or if no, then after this experience with this person who was legally blind, were there any considerations made to kind of update the tech to handle those types of situations? Uh, Well, we, uh, we do offer some, I mean, the problem, like, or the difficulty with that is that Sprint Vector uh, and Raw Data both have been designed with uh, the idea of being active VR titles, which is something that that Servios is very committed to. Is that we want to we want to get people up off the couch. We want to get them, you know, moving their arms and breaking a sweat and ducking and jumping and weaving. Mm-hmm. But and and the problem is, while it's it's a I, I love that ideal, there is a certain amount of ableism in it, in that mm-hmm. it caters to people who can do those things and uh, and uh, are, are capable of doing those things. Um, but uh, I'm not sure how much I can, I don't think I can disclose that much. Okay. We, I will leave it to yes, say that we have, we have other projects in development right now that we haven't announced that are uh, more um, benefit or more accessible. That's where I'm looking for, more accessible. Awesome. Mm-hmm. 
to to people of different of different levels of uh, physical yeah. ability. That's definitely to hear, man. Definitely something I I care about a lot. Um, you know, uh, last year my my father had a lot of health issues and, and mobility problems, and um, during that time, you know, one of his biggest frustrations was was not being able to leave his his room. And, you know, I would describe to him the stuff I was working on and how, how I could see the potential for being able to experience all these things. And I could see the glimmer in his eye of like, like, as I described, uh, I think I was talking about the climb and how, how you could climb mountains and look down from a mountaintop and feel, you know, feel that, that feeling of climbing a mountain. I've never climbed a mountain. I've never stood at the summit of something and looked down and, and had that experience, but a convincing enough, uh, VR app can do that for you mm-hmm. and, and provide experiences to people who never would be able to, to have that experience in their life. Um, whether, whether through mobility or disability or whatever, um, it opens up whole new avenues of human experience for the people, especially in that sort of situation. Sure. So it's something I'm very eager to, like I envision a hundred years from now, retirement homes, instead of TVs on the wall, everybody has a VR headset. And they spend their days, you know, even if they can't leave their bed, walking through beautiful gardens and experiencing. Oh, yeah, man, it's the best episode of Black Mirror. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got a legend of Carol. You broke my heart just saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't ready. Feels. <laughs> it's such a good episode. It really is. Yeah, we're just getting close to the Matrix, so <laughs> just enjoy the journey. I'm, I'm ready. So, like, um, so the challenges of making a VR title is self-evident, right? You're, you're, you're creating a market while you are serving a market, which is crazy, right? So you're thinking about two different things at the same time. Uh, in the same way, like, you're kind of, um, you're kind of evolving a medium that has always been about interact activity and kind of immersing the player into an experience which is what separates us from movies books and all these other entertainment uh industries um what has really gotten you excited uh without talking about any nda stuff but like you know we've seen what the oculus is coming out with uh you know kind of like what you guys were talking about before where Everyone kind of knows, like, all right, we can't have these expensive devices and serve the hardcore people uh, that only can have, like, high-priced rigs. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's very hard to grow a market and talk to the regular consumer, even though there is, like, this weird thing when you're, uh, you know, everyone has a phone and most likely a $600 phone and they upgrade every year, right? <laughs> Obviously, a high-end PC with the Oculus or uh, Vive is a little bit more than that. But even with that or entertainment, people just don't associate games the same way as they think of phones or buying phones, right? Hardware-wise. Well, I mean... So what... Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was just uh, phones are... You know, we buy phones because we we know we need them to perform all right. functions in modern day. And phones are also subsidized. Like, yeah, you have a $600 phone, but... That's just a twenty dollars fee added onto your phone bill every month. It's like right. six hundred bucks. That's just twenty bucks over yeah. four years. People aren't walking into Apple stores and dropping six hundred bucks every year. Right. Signing up. Exactly. Right. So whatever approach we have to get these guys into a VR headset, we got to think about it, right? So what has been really the most exciting part of those challenges? Like, obviously, they're challenges, but it's like, all right, man, we're on the cusp of something new. That's why there are like these challenges that never been tackled before. At the same time, we're creating entertainment and kind of thinking about things to evolve the market uh, that hasn't been done before. So well, what what kind of key things that you guys have going on? For me, that's all pretty fresh because uh, I'm, the, I'm the lead producer on Sprint Vector. And Sprint Vector is very much born out of like, well, what are the challenges and how do we address them? Because when we started on development on it, one of the things like one of the things that we set out to tackle was, well, no one has ever really satisfactorily cracked uh, locomotion in VR 
Like you can do standard trackpad locomotion or, or uh, analog locomotion, but that tends to cause simulator sickness in people, mm-hmm. which is one of the biggest challenges in, in virtual reality. And like, you know, raw data had the, uh, the teleshift system, which is good, but it's not, it's, it's not a one size fits all solution. Mm-hmm. It, it works well for certain things, but not for other things. And we, you know, it's also just working. It is working around the locomotion problem. Whereas we wanted to, with sprint vector, tackle it head, head on. And so we created what we call our fluid locomotion system, which is basically how you play the game. If you've seen video of it, it's people, you know, the, the, the arm pumping to go forward. Right. Um, it's that and a bunch of other things kind of working in concert together. And it's been really exciting to work on solving such a novel challenge yeah. and like kind of dealing with the, the things that uh, we've, we kind of take for granted at this point. Like, because we are in, to an extent reinventing the wheel. Like, you know, we all grew up with controllers in our hands. I don't, I, I don't remember learning the lesson that if I push right on the D-pad, Mario will run right. But to somebody at some point along the lines, that had to be taught. Like you had to learn that in some capacity. And, you know, the thing about our locomotion system is that it's, there's nothing, there's nothing in your previous experience that's going to tell you, oh, of course, that's how I move. by pumping your arms. Like, so it's how do you, how do you teach run, run right uh, from square one in 2017? Mm-hmm. Uh and so it's been it's been a really unique challenge, uh, but I think, I mean, it's it's been really rewarding to get that far. And when people get it, to see them be like, "Oh, this is awesome!" Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, I I've seen that game in action. I haven't gotten to play it yet, but it looks incredible. Uh, this isn't an advertisement or a plug. I'm just saying the game looks dope. <laughs> it really you does. Come by and play it. Yeah, please, please come by anytime. Oh, you hear that? This is what he's talking about. We're just come on, dude. Just yeah. come by, just play some games. <laughs> no pressure. No. Yeah, no you come in and you see us all basically dressed exactly the same in the same hoodie, <laughs> same jeans. <laughs> Not a cult. <laughs> All right, so my last question for you two is: uh, What has been the coolest moment that you guys have been able to celebrate together in your game industry careers? Mm. The coolest moment. I mean, besides, you know, doing this podcast with us, and I appreciate you yeah. holding back the excitement. <laughs> right now. <laughs> you know, just, I appreciate the professionalism you guys are displaying right now. <laughs> it's funny because despite the fact that we've worked together so often over the years, like, we very rarely get to actually work, like, in concert on something like you know, uh, like it is now chris was lead producer on raw data i'm lead producer on sprint vector uh yeah i think we were on the same project for a month <laughs> yeah because even on like lost planet like i was you were with dan on like the cinematic side of things and i was with mike on the gameplay side of things yeah uh and you know we didn't work to, we didn't work together on the same project at, at workshop yeah. um but there was that one window of time uh, while Sprint Vector was ramping up uh, where we were where I was I was working production on raw data mm-hmm. um, so I don't know I felt like I was working towards something there <laughs> uh, I would say maybe maybe both of us having such a strong showing at GDC this year that was pretty fucking cool yeah um, this this last year we got to go to GDC and we were showing off Sprint Vector. We were showing off the, the latest and greatest of raw data side by side in the same booth. Mm. And I mean, maybe I'm a little biased, but I feel like we dominated. Yeah, we I, had mm-hmm. we had crowds of people lined up around the booths for hours on end. People waiting two, three hours to play our game. And this is a GDC. Mm. This is not E3 where you have tens of thousands of of eager fans. You have other developers waiting in line to play your game, which is the yeah, it's compliment, right? And uh, just just the excitement that was that was running through the team uh being able to announce our our sophomore product at servios Mm -hmm. we had this this fancy nice booth 
Um, we were, you know, rubbing elbows with, uh, who were we next to? Like Intel. And I think we were across the street or across the alley from like Activision. Maybe? Yeah. Like we were, we were right in the heart of it. Yeah. And thinking back to when I went to my like first E3 with you years and, years ago, <laughs> and I had been in the industry for maybe, maybe like three weeks at that point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then to see that, that evolution. And now we're, we're both helming projects. Uh, in cutting edge tech at the same company, and and people are excited about both of our our products side by side. Um, that really felt fantastic. Yeah, Dude, that's such a nice bromant. Like I even I'm having I'm over here like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is that nice. nice. <laughs> <laughs> that is nice. <laughs> uh, I'm so happy for you guys, really. From the bottom of my heart, I think it's uh, it's good to see two people sticking together and, you know, for better or for worse, hanging in there, going through the trenches, as you said, and now getting to clink the champagne glasses and success together. It's I hope more people out there in the industry, you know, grab their best friend or just grab somebody cool and like, you know, handle this beast together. Yeah, pause. You know, finding ways to <laughs> to overcome obstacles and just to look to your left and look to your right and see good people who've been there with you the whole time. There's no better feeling. So, for sure, absolutely. Team Chris, go Team Chris. <laughs> well, gentlemen, it is that time. I'm looking at the clock and it says we've been podcasting for just we're like a couple seconds away from an hour. So if I speak really slowly. I can tell you about this next this next segment of the podcast. Brandon and I are going to be quiet, and we're going to give you an opportunity to talk directly to our audience and promote, shout out, broadcast, or raise awareness for something that's really important to you or something that you think just deserves more attention. So without further ado, Chris's the floor is yours. Uh, well, I mean, I know we've talked about it a lot, but I'm actually going to take this opportunity to talk up Sprint Vector. Uh, it is a uh, it's the sophomore title from Servios. It is going to be coming out early 2018 on uh, Oculus and Vive and PlayStation, I can say now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you don't have any of those systems at home, uh, like Chris said, we have many arcade, location-based entertainment areas and arcades across the country get get yourself a chance to play across the country around the world around the world too it's oh, nice. mm-hmm. we'll get that art we'll get that mcmurdo station one someday <laughs> some penguins in the <laughs> <Got> it. <laughs> uh but yeah i'm just gonna talk up sprint vector check it out sprintvector.com uh if you if you do have a headset at home uh sign up wishlist it because it's it's gonna be a game changer yeah uh, I, I'm going to reiterate that Sprint Vector is a wonderful game. Uh, just not not working on the project myself, but having watched it come together over the last year or so, um, I, the team is so excited about it. it. Like everybody's just buzzing about this title, and uh, you know we still do these these tournaments where I see the entire the crowds of our development team just gathering around, cheering people on, trying to get better times. <laughs> Um, it's a wonderful game. I really hope you guys check it out. It's going to change uh, how people how people view what what's possible in VR, which is the most exciting thing. Yeah, you know, that we're still pushing the limits there. We haven't found the the outer edge of what we can do in VR. Um, outside of that, uh, if you guys haven't played Raw Data yet, <laughs> uh, the, the team put in a huge amount of work to that title. Uh, we just released we left early access uh, back. Um, uh, in uh, October, October, mm-hmm. yeah, October fifth, we left early access. We released on PlayStation Four on PSVR. Uh, where, if you want to play the demo of Raw Data, it's available on the new PSVR demo disc uh, that comes with uh, all of the new bundles. If, if you buy a, a VR headset, you're, you'll likely get the new uh, demo disc, um, and it gives you just a small slice of what Raw Data is. Uh, but uh, we just we want to make cool things for you guys. Please stay tuned to Servios. We're making a ton of really cool stuff. We can't wait to tell people about it. Um, and I'd like to say, which I kind of hinted at at the podcast earlier, uh, Raw Data converted the biggest virtual reality skeptic I know. Really? <laughs> this guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the pre-alpha, like, proto- Doesn't even remember. <laughs> Who was that guy? Who was it? Not me. (laughs) Who hates VR? (laughs) I'm going to kill this motherfucker. (laughs) 
Well, gentlemen, I have to say, first and foremost, it has been a pleasure. And it has also been an honor to connect with you guys again to a podcast and just hear how awesome things are going for your dynamic duo. Uh, I wish pleasure you many more years on. of success. Then for you guys, it's yeah. great to see you guys Absolutely. working together. Uh, I love your podcast. Uh, can't wait on air and uh you don't see podcasts chris <laughs> I mean, he's <laughs> lying <laughs> right through his teeth boilerplate <laughs> that's all that is uh but please guys come by the office anytime yeah all right let's do it well gentlemen i played sprint vector and i got a really high time that's why right now i gotta say good night all right all right guys see you guys next week thank you If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to stay in touch or continue to follow our developments, then you need to go to facebook.com forward slash game dev unchained and drop a like and stay in touch. You can also get the direct feed for this podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash game dev unchained.